Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We read just a few moments ago in our Old Testament reading, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, and that everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot, rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. These are the words of a preacher, a preacher who in the book of Ecclesiastes we see get up amongst those he had congregated, survey the people before him, survey his own life, look out at the world he sees before them, before him, knowing that those listening want a comforting word, want something that will be palatable and easily so to their ears, and he begins it by hitting them with a two-by-four, saying, hebel, hebel, all is hebel, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Or vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. That is how the book of Ecclesiastes begins. And it is in that same vein that throughout the book, the Koheleth in Hebrew, the preacher identified as Solomon, systematically like a heavyweight fighter, knocks down all the things that we have propped up as meaningful in our life. Saying, if you think you're going to build something great for yourself, well, remember, I built an empire, a successful one, and says, I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I expended, and all was vanity. There was nothing to be gained. It was a rather unhappy business that God had given. And if you think somehow the, the niceties, the good deeds, the acts of charity that you've done for others are going to somehow benefit you, well, to that, Solomon, as Kohalas says, I have seen everything, and I've seen that a righteous man perishes for his righteousness, and that a wicked man prospers and even extends his life in his wickedness. And even if you think you're just going to turn out different than the person sitting next to you, Solomon has a great reminder that, well, death is the great equalizer saying that all are from dust, and to dust all shall return. Even saying in our reading that as you came from your mother's womb, you shall go again. As he came, he shall take nothing for his toil. Just as he came into the world, he shall go. Unless we think we're going to be able to think our way out of this problem, Solomon, the one whom God blessed with more wisdom than any human being, prior and any human being since he lived, says, in much wisdom is much frustration. He who increases his knowledge increases his own pain. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book that speaks truly to the heart of human existence. It shatters the glass houses that we've built up for ourselves, the vanity of one's own self-importance. And punch after punch, Solomon, as Kohaleth, knocks down those things we prop up as important or meaningful. Lays waste to the systems, the institutions, 
the idols of safety and security, the motivations that we craft for ourselves. And he reads the listeners, those who read his word even today, somewhat staggering to answer for the next round. See, the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't sugarcoat a single thing. Ecclesiastes calls life what it is, knocks us down from the peg that we place ourselves on and reminds us that life is short, life is frustrating. Relatively speaking, our lives can be rather unremarkable. He knocks down every facade that we've built up to try and assign some sort of meaningfulness to the things we do in life. Solomon looks at the fallen world, looks at mankind, looks at the life he's lived, realizing he has tried any and all things in order to try and find a a true purpose, a true meaningfulness, wine, women, building, leisure, and only comes to one conclusion. Mankind is a lot worse off than he even imagined. And yet it is in that very conclusion that I think the book of Ecclesiastes has some of the most uniquely comforting words for us in the entire Bible. Because when Solomon realizes this, he doesn't resort to nihilism, or he doesn't just resound himself to being desperate or in despair, but rather he turns to humility. That confronted by the overwhelming reality that one's own existence based on itself alone is futile, vain, meaningless, Solomon realizes the incredible meaningfulness of fearing, loving, and trusting in God. That he realizes when we finally take an honest account, a truly honest account of our life, well, there's only one answer, and that's to turn it all over to him. Throw everything over to the God who does it all. That is only God who can even hope to solve the problems we can't even address. Life's disappointments, life's frustrations, life's heartaches, life's sorrows, and even the apparent meaninglessness of life. We have to cast it off of ourselves and put it all onto his shoulders. We have to acknowledge that he is the God who has to do it all. And in that, we have the wonderful blessing of having a God that absolutely does it all. God who takes even our sin and our death and puts it on himself, puts it on his son in our place. God who sent his son to redeem a somewhat unremarkable, futile, vain people. We have a God who looks at us in the short days of our lives And not only remembers who we are, but cares deeply for us and on an individual level. And in Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon come to that conclusion that we don't bring anything to the table. In fact, perhaps the most profound question that the book of Ecclesiastes forces us to consider is, how comfortable are we actually believing in sola gratia, that is grace alone by which we are saved? How comforting is that in our lives? Or is there perhaps a part of us, a part of our old sinful self, that even subconsciously would 
truly like to believe that we bring some sort of merit to our salvation in Christ. The Apostle Paul came to a somewhat similar conclusion about our own human works and the meaningfulness of them. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, we are saved through grace, by faith alone, grace alone, not of ourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. God looks at us, looks at the existential questions that Solomon asks and forces us to consider, and he says to us, don't worry, I got it. I have taken care of it all. I've taken care of not only the things that you can't solve or fix or answer in your life, but I've actually given you a life, an eternal life in my son. And I've done it all so that you can enjoy. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. In all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life, that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, accept his lot, rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Perhaps there's no better understanding of what it truly means to be saved by grace alone than to say with full sincerity, on the one hand, everything we do, even our lives are relatively meaningless, and yet in that same sincerity and in that same truth, confess that those meaningless things, in fact, have a tremendous meaning in God. Those meaningless things have a tremendous amount of joy once you know who, whose you are, what he's done for you in Christ. Many of you know in just a few weeks' time, my wife are praying and fully expecting to welcome a beautiful baby girl into this world. And there's been one thing that's been a consistent refrain throughout this entire time. People will come to us and say, it's going to be wonderful, but enjoy this time now, because <laughs> it's going to be different. And of course, they're absolutely right. In a few weeks' time, there will be much more diapers, perhaps certain smells and sights that we don't have to deal with now. That toil, that labor that God has given us is going to change immensely. And yet, the joy does not change. Life does change, but the joy never changes. Because our joy is centered on the God who does it all for us. Joy that exists as children get older. <laughs> joy that exists as we get older. Joy that exists only and solely and completely because God did the job we needed to have done and could never do. It's a joy that can only come in the humility of understanding just how futile, vain, or perhaps even meaningless some of the works that we do truly are. And yet it's a joy that finds tremendous meaning in all of those same works that we have been given the right to be God's children, the right to be the children of a God who does it all for us. Amen. Now, may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>